to the UK Student Paramedic Podcast, made by student paramedics for student paramedics and covering all things paramedicine, regardless of your experience and route to registration. On today's episode, we're taking an instalment in our Exploring Roles series, where we take a deep dive into the range of careers available post-registration to help you formulate your own long-term goals and aspirations. And today, it's a look at operations managers, what a typical day looks like for the role, the skills and requirements to make it a career, the ups, the downs, and the challenges they face. Hello then and welcome back to the UK Student Paramedic Podcast. I'm Student Paramedic Tim and I have an exciting topic for you today as we take a dive into one of the many exciting roles you can work towards post-registration. As always, the usual disclaimer that this podcast is not a substitute for academic learning and should not be used in place of teaching or observation from qualified personnel. All information is correct to our best knowledge at the time of recording and myself, the podcast and its guests are acting in a personal interest and not speaking on behalf of or expressing any views of any trust, university, or other organization, unless explicitly expressed. Now, with that out of the way, it's my great pleasure to welcome today's guest, helping us navigate our way through this topic, is former operations manager turned lecturer, Mr. Chris Salt. Hello, sir. How are we? Hello. Yeah, no, we're good, thank you. How are you? I'm I'm okay. I'm midway for a placement block, so my body clock is uh, non-existent just now, but... uh, I can't complain. It's what we do it for, right? It's what we what we enjoy. Um, for our listeners' sake, just fill us in with with your background, both operationally and, and the sort of education role that you take now. Uh, yeah, so um, I was or well, student uh, on the FedSci program, the Foundation Science uh, Paramedic degree, uh, qualified in twenty eleven. Uh, went and worked for West Midlands Ambulance Service until around about 18 months ago when I came into the Coventry University as one of the teaching faculty. So it's kind of a bit of a full circle thing for me at the moment. So you've got that experience of uh, of being that student, knowing exactly what we're, we're going through at the time and the, uh, the confusing world that paramedicine can be when you first... Uh, enter into its sphere um you 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 obviously went on to achieve uh, om status or operations manager status within the uh, ambulance service i'm aware it goes by different names but just as, as an overview um where does om sit in that hierarchy of of paramedicine and, and management so you've got your your your, your day-to-day paramedics where does om sit around there yeah, so different trusts obviously have uh, different terminology for or, or different roles. Um, in the West Midlands, uh, it initially was an incident support officer, uh, which then became an area support officer. Um, and then you take on more, uh, more day-to-day business instead of just being there to direct troops on the scene. Um, so you become, it's basically a duty supervisor role. Um, you are within the West Midlands Ambulance Service, let's say, uh, you are one of two, or at the time when I left, uh, one of two per area. So I was um, one of two in Birmingham, which covered all of Birmingham. Uh, And then I transferred internally and was uh, in charge of Coventry and Warwickshire. So during a 12 hour shift, we would have two of us, um, north and south, essentially. Uh, and that's we would take our charge. We would take charge of that area and be responsible for all staff health and safety, well-being, um, day-to-day jobs like rotoring, 
filling gaps on overtime, doing appraisals. So it, it really merged more into a management role instead of just an on-scene commander. But the two kind of uh, areas you would be looking at are incident commander and also duty supervisor. So it's kind of, so with my experience of both West Mids uh, and East Mids and a little bit with, with East of England as well, it's, it feels like it's kind of a, um, you mentioned team leader there, kind of that sort of step up from operational paramedic, somebody to kind of come in and manage the day-to-day. I know that in some trusts as well, station managers is of a, of a similar kind of ilk. Um, it feels like it's kind of got a lot to it in terms of responsibilities and roles that you might have to fulfil. Uh, again, it depends on the service you work for, but the the role that the operations manager within West Midlands was rather all-encompassing. Um, it was historically had a station commander that dealt with staff issues, as in welfare issues, appraisals, training, rotoring, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but then and you had a separate incident commander for that who would be just sent to jobs or cases, uh, and then they brought it all in to basically be one role for West Mids. They still have the separate roles for different services or different organisations that you work for. So I, I'm just speaking from what my experience with West Mids and uh, West Midlands Ambulance Service was. Uh, and what what kind of clinical jobs will, will this level of, of management be sent to? Because presumably they're, they're unlikely to uh, you know, go to an elderly that's fallen, for example. It's, it's more high-cuity type stuff. So, yeah, the... <laughs> If you are the closest resource to a Category 1 call, so we're talking your uh, cardiac arrest, seizures, that kind of stuff, um, then you would be sent as primary resource. So you would have, the if you if you want to term it Gucci, then you would get the more Gucci or the more actual emergency kind of stuff, and you would be there for that. Mm. Um, you wouldn't necessarily be readily responded to any lesser category of call, unless there was sufficient pressure within the system, i.e. waiting times, call times and that lot, um, where we would historically be then sent to those in case if there was absolutely no other option and we needed to get something done. Yeah, okay. And th- those more sort of high acuity uh, calls that, that you are being sent to to uh, alongside other resources, what's, the, what's the, the, the theory behind having a manager at those type of, of calls? Well, you've... <laughs> To elaborate a bit more on the on the point before, you would be sent to the nearest if you were the nearest resource within a Cat 1 range. Mm. However, we would be responded to jobs that would have uh, or trigger on the call certain phrases, and we would be used as part of a predetermined um, deployment plan. Right. So your pre-deployed action plan. Um those things would be anything in the public view then you would need somebody to coordinate anything to do with pediatrics especially in the public but also in home Mm -hmm. uh anything like involved domestic violence responding to staff who are pressing emergency buttons then we would be the resource to be sent out there um we don't necessarily get sent to cardiac arrests as routine just because of people because we've got the clinically trained members of staff that we trust to be able to do that and undertake those duties very well. The other things would be a case of anything that needed coordination, any kind of multi-agency involvement. So you're talking police, fire coordination, that kind of thing. Uh, 
if there was anything that involved any more specialist units such as heart paramedics to be on scene or helimed to be required then i would be there um, to act on your behalf to take the logistics thinking away so i would work in the background the the job that i usually did was turn up and say what do you need oh i need another bottle of oxygen oh right i'll go and get it for you you know i mean that that kind of thing become the it? runner yeah <laughs> yeah it's it's it is it doesn't feel like you're doing much at the time especially clinically mm. but if i wasn't second guessing what you need there and then then that would be potentially a delay in treatment while you then lose resources from seeing to go and just pick up a bottle when yeah. i'm sat there after speaking to a police officer to try and work out plans um as the role progressed and the threat of terrorism and chemical suicides became more prevalent and things like that then we would have extra training in order to be able to formulate plans that you guys might not or I say you guys but people operational paramedics who are dealing with the cold face they wouldn't necessarily think of or have the time to think of so I'm there as top cover for a lot of your issues a lot of just to basically make your job easier yeah it sounds like you're trying to balance because you've got all these operations and these these clinical facing uh, responsibilities but you also mentioned around managing staff and you've got a, a high number of staff that you're trying to look after on a day-to-day and presumably you're also responsible for um uh, sort of audits and making sure that people are uh, doing what essentially they're, they're paid to do within the job how do you manage all of that in in one day because as we know calls can come in any time and i suppose it must make planning your day quite difficult um <laughs> Yeah, so any, any OMs out there, just start early <laughs> would, be, would be my um, my main tip. You, you get in your routines and stuff. So the first thing, you work 12-hour days, start within the West Midland service, uh, ambulance service at 7 o'clock in the morning until 7 o'clock in the evening. Um, from 7 o'clock until 9 o'clock, um, I would be looking at the next 24, 40 hours, uh, 48, 72 hour kind of work rotor to see if there was any gaps, any solo members of crew that I would have to marry them up, make plans to. Mm-hmm. People don't like it when you call them to try, change shifts at seven in the morning. Yes. So it's a case of the first two hours, along with the most important job, which would be I need caffeine. Um, <laughs> it would be working out a plan of how to get your crewing done because the crewing is unfortunately the biggest uh, headache of a day mm. because if you haven't got the crew sorted out, then you can't go out and treat patients. Yeah, and then I suppose you've got that dynamic uh, change through the day, people calling in sick, people having issues on shift and having to, to, to juggle around that, all the while answering calls on the radio that potentially require your input. That must be, that must be a whole new set of skills outside of what you require as a, as a paramedic. Yeah, being able to keep hold of different strands all at the same time whilst uh, making sure the tapestry looks in a kind of a similar shape of what you left it out with is the is the game. Um, there is an adage of saying you've got about six plates that you have to maintain spinning at all times. Yeah. But then you have another six or seven to ten plates that come on do the day and then you've got to make sure that they spin and then you take them off and put them down back in the cupboard again. Otherwise, you don't want to them smashing. But yeah. you, you get your core duties that you have to make sure are undertaken in order to keep the service running. So th- this is where you have your your guidance from senior managers. Um, you've basically got to make them work. Mm. 
So you, you become the almost the face, I guess, of the ambulance service. And you mentioned there about attending calls in, in the public face. I suppose you're the one that's there to make sure that the clinicians are already on scene aren't on the phone or, you know, looking tatty or necessarily <laughs> not representing the ambulance service in, in the best light, right? So you must have that, that there must be a part of the job that also makes you relatively unpopular as well. Um, I would say anyone in the NHS that becomes a manager loses friends, <laughs> potentially. Um, it, it is a real difficult balancing act because you are there to guard standards. Um, because we are a public facing organisation, we don't need, uh, it's about standardisation as well. So even down to the point of where you have to pick up people on the the hair, whether it's according to standards or lengths of nails and things like that. And that's where we usually feel like we're jobs worth yeah. a bit, mm. if I'm honest with you. But it's it's really important because public perception needs to be a uniform standard. People need to know that when they call 999, regardless of who they get, they're going to get the same across the board. Mm. Now, I appreciate the fact that everyone's individual and unique, but that's not necessarily the thing you joined unfortunately we need some kind of stability and uniformity and that's you feel like a bit of an army sergeant where that's concerned and that, and that is quite difficult to deal with especially when you're trying to you, you do want it you don't you, you don't want to turn up to not be liked so no, it is, it, that is an internal pressure that is in with, within you and unfortunately you just got to figure out a way of being fair as long as you remain fair and uniform yourself then the rest should hopefully fall into place a little bit easier and you if i mean you've, you've mentioned a lot around the, the roles and responsibilities that's involved there what, what would a if you take us through a normal normal tuesday in the ambulance service as an om you've arrived at so you've arrived early because you've already given us that tip uh you've got your brew in hand uh what, what did a normal day pan out like for for an om um, so it would be, you, you would probably do the first couple of hours would be trying to take handover if there was any tasks that came up overnight or in the day shift that, you, uh, that you've just taken over from that you'd have to try and uh, address or work out a plan of how to address. You'd be looking at the crewing. Um, you've got to make sure that you do spot checks on vehicles because of the fact that they need to be clean and everything like that because you, you don't just have paramedics on stations for West Midlands Ambulance Service. You've got um, ambulance fleet assistants or vehicle preparation officers. Apologies, I was taking it back about seven years there. Um, <laughs> but they, they are responsible for all the kit that goes on the vehicles um, to make sure that you've you as operational paramedics or student paramedics have access to when you need it. So if there's any equipment that's not there and things like that, it needs to be picked up. We do. Um, so yeah, it, that, that's the kind of you know, the lay of the land. You get your, your plan for the day and then you try and box off jobs as they come in whilst trying to work on what you need to do. And then you have the radio going off saying, can you attend this RTC rollover with seven patients and things like that and then you have to flick modes into mm. right well I, I don't need my organizational head as much now i need my incident command head on and then work out plans on how to get through those situations i think step back de-escalate calm down a bit and then get back to the rotors <laughs> <laughs> and get another brew and uh and, go yeah, yeah, yeah. and for those those sort of 
bigger incidents like you mentioned there where you are taking an incident command role um that's a whole different set of skills again because you, you're taking you almost have to kind of remove your clinical head i guess and you go into more of a strategic position in that sort of situation yeah so the way it works for um especially for west mids is that you are until relieved the tactical incident commander even though you are working at an operational level. So there used to be a bit of terminology around gold, silver, bronze. Mm. So gold is like CEO director level, uh, tactical is in between, and then you have um, operational, which is basically the uh, area support officer incident commander that turns up to start with. Um, it's got a whole different, different ball game, different rules to it, but whilst remaining the, the core principles of the of the trust that you work for at the same time so it, it is difficult um you go on a four-day course i went down to winterbourne gunner which is a mod site uh ran through operational command especially with like chemical biological radiological explosions kind of thing like that um and then you try and put those in principles in place when you are commanding an incident as well so you kind of just have to park the rotors on one yeah. side get them out of your head um worry about the sickness contacts for anyone who isn't at work due to ill health or anything like that um and you have to kind of go right methane early on let's find all these kind of communication tools there is a lot more acronyms that you have to learn at that level, uh, especially around functional roles and stations and zonings and things like that. But it becomes more of an inter-service um, role. It's a lot more communications, a lot more planning. The, the, the rule with it is if you are touching a patient, you're probably not doing the best job you should be as an incident commander because of the fact that you have people for that which is the operational side of it is the, the ambulance turns up you're the guys that are actually doing the work i'm just mm. the guy that's making the plan and telling you what to do and if i'm getting involved i lose that tactical awareness or that shared awareness between the tri-service or whoever emergency responders we are play, um we're we're playing with at the time to use a colloquialism um but apart from that, yeah, it's, it, it is a different mindset and it's not just about sticking needles in places and doing CPR or putting tourniquets on people in those occasions. Yeah. Did you ever, uh, did you ever feel the pressure, Chris? Because it's a lot from both sides there. You've got the pressure around managing staff, which has its own challenges, as well as the admin side, of course. But then you've also got the pressure on those bigger jobs where you're playing an incident command role, where people are looking to you for that leadership and that guidance. And ultimately... It's your responsibility when it's finished and everybody's breaking down what went well and what didn't. A lot of the responsibility falls back onto yourself. Did you did you ever feel that pressure as an OM? Um, you get used to that pressure. I think at the start, it's a lot more obvious to you. Um, it's a bit of a difficult one because I'm, I'm quite blasé about things anyway. It, 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 you do take, it does take a, a bit of a, a special breed of person to be an incident commander, okay? <laughs> Um, because you have to make big ballsy calls. There are there are occasions where I have withdrawn people from a scene and that has had a direct impact on patients, mm. but that was due to safety issues and things like that. So mm. there, there are those moments where you have to make some massive calls mm. and it is me that would be in the major incident tribunal 
justifying what decisions I made and why I made them at the time. So this is the reason why I know this isn't a plug for our course or anything like that, but it, the main thrust of the parascience degree is about justification and rationale and why are you doing something that you're doing? Because if you can't stand up and justify it, then you shouldn't, you probably shouldn't be doing it. Mm. Yeah, no, that's, a, that's a valid point. And you mentioned a little bit on training. What sort of extra training do you have to, to get into the, the operations manager role? So it's, it is essentially you get a mentorship period um, where you are observing a OM mentor or an incident commander mentor. And it depends on the service, again, it's terminology. Um, you, you, you have that period of mentorship. You have a portfolio which runs separately towards the HCPC standards for registration as a paramedic. So I would have uh, two portfolios running, one that would specifically look for my clinical abilities in order to re-reg, and then one which was my operations manager, which would have to include incident command training that I've attended, uh, jobs that I have done, reflections on those jobs or things like that. So there is that kind of ongoing element to it. Um, the initial training though is, is was, or was at least, uh, four days stay away be away from your family for a week nearly. So it depends on whether that will be a good thing or a bad thing, depending on your <laughs> point of view at the time. Um, did we depend there? We were put up in the officers' mess, so we had a really good menu. Um, <laughs> the people that were put in the squaddy barracks, they had a really cheap beer rate. Um, Result, where do I so, sign up? <laughs> yeah, I know. Go, uh, but it's, it's, it, it is that kind of training there. And then you have to attend yearly updates, as well so normally how it would work is uh, for west mids you would have a mandatory clinical update for operational staff which you would have to attend because technically i am clinical even though it's a case of i wouldn't necessarily go out and do the primary care work i would be more about the death and carnage yeah. um and then you would have to attend updates for your incident command which would give you um new knowledge about oh well there's this trend in chemical suicides look out for this this is that this is the other um modes of terrorism that people are adopting and things like that mm. and our training continuously evolved because of the fact the way that we responded historically when i started was very static we didn't have any problems with people in vans or lorries or mobile terrorism wasn't necessarily that well used the biggest thing that we'd ever looked at was uh 9-11 and 7-7 mm. and since then we've had a, a bit of a change in in mode of operation for the the the, the bad guys and the bad guys, yeah so we'd have to then change the way that we'd run i mean the the high acuity stuff and going out to you know all of these Excited is probably the wrong adjective, but those, those ones that get you thinking as a clinician, those those, those big jobs, the public-facing jobs, and um, the jobs that you've mentioned there, that sounds quite appealing. I'm sure that will appeal to a lot of students. So, I mean, was that the best thing about the role? What, what would you say was the kind of highlight of, of being an OM? Um, if you ask, if you ask, uh, if you ask past Chris there and probably anyone on a paramedic science degree currently, um, all everyone wants to go out to is uh, the worst things you could possibly be responding yeah. to. Because yeah. I, need, I need that experience. I want to see those things. I'm yeah. doing it for this reason. Um, 
after the nth pediatric cardiac arrest that you've seen or been responded to or you've seen the inside of places that you never thought you should see or would see in your career um that is where you need a kind of a big push on your own individual resilience mm. i would say being able to be able to cope with the worst things that you could possibly imagine on the course mm. uh you would probably have a loads more chance of seeing than operational members of staff i think i think the incidence of uh pediatric cardiac arrests a year are, are nine in a hundred thousand mm. however i have seen more than two hands worth of those incidents whereas some people the majority i would say of paramedics probably won't ever see one yeah so, so there's it, there is that kind of thing you got to the point a couple of times oh, please just be a headache <laughs> yeah, yeah you, but, you, you miss the easier stuff the stuff that doesn't necessarily get you excited at uh, 3 a.m yeah but having, having said that the om role afforded me the most weirdest experiences that you didn't think that you would well the the, the, the majority of people won't ever see like being inside a prison when they're rioting doing <laughs> that, that kind of stuff it does being able to have the power to close the M6, I think, yeah. is 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 a really is you can, you can get drunk on that. Yeah, that's why, the, uh, that's why they put the traffic officers to say, "How about why don't we just do it like?" Yeah, well, how about um, Chris? We do it when you're at work rather than the Saturday that you're off and you're trying to close yeah. the M6. Maybe. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I appreciate you've got a flecky jacket in your yeah. car. Um, it is difficult because of the fact that it's a really really important role and it's not just about um undertaking it and act, pulling a plan out and going yeah that really worked well that's where's the tea and medals yeah. um it was more about for me the welfare of the staff after those kind of jobs and historically i don't think anyone does that well mm. i think that uh debriefs uh, there is research out there about hot debriefs and cold debriefs and welfare in people after jobs and things like that, especially the most horrific jobs that you may ever encounter. There, well, the, the amount of people that, that see off their careers by going to some jobs like that, it, it is hard. And that's where you end up, A, the I know the HCPC standards have, have just changed including now a massive importance on personal resilience mm -hmm. but it's also about that safety netting that welfare that we can offer the, the the eyeballing to say are you all right because who cares for the carer is normally the usual thing and that was more my area where i think i did well it was the area that interested me every every paramedic's got an area that oh, some are abdominal some are cardiovascular surgeons some are you know these this and this for me, it was more about the individuals because technically, I mean, I've done management before. I've done 20 years worth of experience in different settings, leisure centers, pubs, this kind of stuff. Mm. So the management side of it wasn't necessarily a problem for me because of the experience I had. But it was more the highlighting of the actual the troops on scene. Are, are they all right? Because of the fact you get a lot of people that won't say anything because we are the emergency service. We know we're supposed to be doing this stuff. Therefore, we're big, brave soldiers. Where big, brave soldiers break very hard. Mm -hmm. If you think about the kind of territory of 
they get a break after a tour. They see some horrible stuff in the army or in the services, but then they come off tour and then they spend a period of time off. Yeah. We do four on, four off, four on, four off, and then have 18 days on and come back and do it again. We'll probably yeah. see a lot more stressful, horrible situations with relatives. Mm. It's not usually the patient that's the problem. It's usually the people surrounding them. So that's the kind of thing I would head off and deal with and communicate for them and leave the people to be able to do the work that they're supposed to be doing in peace. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. that was that was kind of my area of... It's a really important role. Yeah, and it's, it's a valid point. It's often overlooked. And uh, I suppose kudos to you for the fact that that was your, um, your kind of highlight, really. It's incredibly kind of selfless thing to, uh, to, to bring up. What was the... I imagine there's a few. Uh, my initial thought around challenges and drawbacks would probably be the, the admin side. We know that traditionally the ambulance service is quite admin heavy. Uh, what did you find was the sort of the biggest challenge of the role? Well, everyone becomes and does a paramedic degree to go and count PPE suits in the middle of the night <laughs> and to be, be accurate with spreadsheets. Um, so I would say that's probably... Um, that's probably more of my challenge. It, it wasn't going out and seeing people, talking to people. That We're all quite good at that because of the fact that that's why you're on a course, dealing with people and not accountant sheets, that yeah. kind of things. But, yeah, so the, the, the challenges was the admin side of it um, because of the fact it never ends. It, it's, it's always there. You've got your core duties that you need to keep spinning, like I said, and those certain duties, they are boring, that it is it is the sitting in front of a computer it's not what you kind of get and become a paramedic for no. drawbacks i think is uh time that you i can spend many many hours at work and then get it all back the next day yeah so it's it, you don't have enough time to be able to do all of what you do or all of what you need to so then you end up kind of going oh sorry to the the person who's relieving you um I have to say that I, the, the rest of it in drawbacks wise, I didn't really feel much drawbacks. I don't think there was, it, it was a good setup. I, I, I can't knock the company. I think I know people have got different views of different services or whether you've got people screaming into the speaker now saying, you're wrong. Yeah, but <laughs> it's that personal view. For me, I can only go by my experience. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. and that's the kind of thing about it. And I, and I felt supported by the trust. But I didn't go out and I wasn't rogue. I wasn't, I, I was a good boy. I played by the rules. I didn't, it wasn't a case of pushing back. I needed to when I had to. But it was a case of, yeah, I didn't really feel those drawbacks. I think that the only thing is how much work there is to do mm. and being able to have the time to achieve it when you are then having to press the pause button on the admin and then fly out at X miles an hour down the M40 to go and deal with a plane crash. Yeah, yeah, that's it. I mean, or that, or, I mean, that it really sums up uh, the 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 variety of the role. And I, I would imagine for many students listening, it will appeal to them. So, what would be the best way if if somebody did want to to get into this sort of hierarchy of management? What would be the best way they could set themselves up for that position? Um, it's a, it's a you can do it anyway as long as you are a serving member of staff with a certain amount of experience. There is nothing that says that thou shalt do X role first and right. whatever. So at the moment, since I since I joined and started, there was a, we, we, we were a pool of three acting area support officers at the time. Um, now there is an entire development role program 
that you can then apply to to be a development operation manager within the West Mids. I can't speak for other services. Mm-hmm. Um, usually, uh, you're looking at people CTM role, clinical team mentor kind of. So they that role in court in, incorporates auditing and quality assurance and standards and things like that anyway. So they're very, very transferable skills into something that you would have ultimate control and ultimate responsibility of an entire area, let alone the one person sat next to you or the student in the back kind of thing. Um, there, there is limitations because of the nature of agenda for change and things like that, the job roles are, you've got, you are a technician, you are a paramedic, whether it be NQP or, sorry, newly qualified paramedic, or whether it be a paramedic that has come out of that phase. Um, and then you've got CTM, it usually stops. Yeah. So what I would suggest is if you were interested in doing that kind of thing, your appraisal or your personal development reviews would be your friends because of the fact that there's always the one, and it's usually the long-serving ones that that have done everything that they want to do. They've achieved everything that they want to achieve. Um, So when you say, oh, so what would you like to do? Any courses in the next 12 months? You've got a plumbing course. Um, No? (laughs) Okay, so, and, and it kind of, and it tops out there. There is things called like engaging leaders courses, management courses and stuff like that. So if you are that way inclined, being able to have certain things under your belt to take to someone mm. puts you in a better position than having to train someone from scratch in all of the aspects of it. Yeah. But my my it was it was stated to me many many years ago uh, when I was approached about doing the role um, that there are people out there who are still training that have plans and they will put their boots on your neck to get there. Yeah. So what are you going to do for yourself? Because of the fact that. I appreciate the fact that we are a team on the road, but it is a collection of subcontractors who the trust allow you to practice. It's 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 the same as a um, building company. They're going to do some building. They need people. You're a person. You come work for us and we'll support you. But you are there as an individual. You represent yourself, especially when it comes to the HCPC. You don't get the the hub that you work for or the station that you work for doing a group application to the HCPC no. on your behalf. No. So it's that kind of CPD element. If you want to carry on and you want to progress, mm. then have an early think about what you want to do, even if you're not going to pull the trigger on it. You have got probably two to four years until you would be available or, or able to do something like that because you'd have to do your, uh, your NQP phase, and then you would have a look from there on in, because if it's a case of post-graduation or post-qualification, you have to then do two years, or whether it's a case of you have to do two years post-NQP. Now, that's all in the wording, and that depends on the organisation. But yeah. you've got two years there. Good time to consolidate in your NQP period, but you've still got two years that you can maybe do some stuff or do something else, even if it's a mini-management one. There's uh, the NHS uh, England Education training authority um they actually offer courses that you don't have to stump up for and you can do one for free and their intros like the mary seacole award that's that's the one that sticks in my head at the moment um but there are other courses on there that you can just do e-learning you can learn principles and then you can take that forward if you want 
Yeah, to strengthen our application. That's a really good way of, of looking at it about how you, you, your own entity, yes, we all work for, potentially all work for a service, but um, your, your own investment, uh, quite like that, especially around the fact that it's your registration, your HEPC registration. And so it's you that needs to develop yourself. As a, an OM, Chris, then, when you're dealing with students, be that trust or university-based students that are out on placement, um, what are you looking for as an OM in, in students? How should students engage around the the om teams um professionally i think would be would be the one just the issue is that just remember you're a guest i would say is a good idea because of the fact that you don't work for the organization it's a real blurred lines though because of the fact you feel part of the crew room you, you you're known by the end of three years people are going to know you they're going to know your personality you, you can't stay detached for three years. So I'm not saying just be the, the robot in the corner that doesn't say boo to a goose because you are individuals and these are potentially your future employers. So it's good that you forge those bonds. I think the problem comes when I've heard someone on station for the third time of their placement in their first year and they're already sounding like someone who's been in for 30 years because of the fact that they've adopted a certain... Uh, attitude from the crew room if it exists let's say rightly or wrongly those people have served time and they've served experience let you figure out it for yourself don't be led by other people i think mm. because as soon as you adopt that that would probably end up shortening career lengths yeah absolutely you already got that kind of i've been here 30 years when you've actually only been in three months type yeah. uh, mentality and i suppose yeah. uh, oms are and, and this is a key point is oms are there for students too right yes they've got a responsibility to the staff but the students as guests fall within that uh, that remit as well yeah so we, we we have ultimate responsibility for health and safety issues and all staffing issues that includes visitors, contractors who come to fix the server room when it goes down or the aircon when it's too hot, yeah, that kind of stuff. OMs aren't just there for, regardless of the name of them, the duty supervisor on shift is not there just for our staff, the paid people, because of the fact that we are the same at that point. It's just that you're at the start and I'm closer towards the end or because I've qualified. Mm. Do you know what I mean that that kind of thing? I I'm, I'm making it sound like everyone's about three minutes away from resigning. It's not. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not that. It's a case of the fact that we we've, we've done our bit. We've done our learning, or the main bulk of our learning. Because don't worry, kids, it doesn't stop. Um, <laughs> but but we've done that bit, so we absolutely understand. Or the majority of people now, compared to when I started, because of the fact that the the degree level was still quite in its infancy. Mm. When you had the 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 Institute of uh, the IHCD, I, f I forget the name of it, um, but the IHCD role route where you went in was just like the eight weeks training, go out on the job. That kind of still exists, but then you'll do that and then go into uni during your your kind of paramedic learning yeah. phase. Learning stage, yeah. um, but if if you have any problems, any concerns, regardless of what it is whether it is i'm not sure about what i'm doing tomorrow i haven't got enough something um i don't know where to go if i need to get this information because we can facilitate and signpost um but also including of i have concerns about things on the road because this is 
this is where we get into a real sticky problem with students because of the fact that they look at their mentors as the the, the gatekeepers of uh, their careers and they don't want to rock the boat too much, mm. which is where where people become more complicit, let's say, because of the fact that they're scared of the repercussions. But don't ever be scared. If you don't like something or if you just want to chat about something, I'm not sure about, I'm not sure how I feel about this. Just come and have a chat to us and we and we can either allay your fears just to say, well, we'll put this into context X, Y, and Z or say, well, this is unacceptable. Let me do something about it for you. That kind of stuff. Because that is part of the role. I'm not saying about... I'm not saying about dobbing people in or left, right, and center. It's 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 about if you have got concerns or if I've just had a bad job, what am I supposed to do? If I haven't had a bad job three weeks ago and now I'm starting to feel something, we've walked the shoes. We know what it feels like. So yeah. please, 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 just because of the fact that there's something on our shoulders uh, that's more that just than just as paramedic, then feel free to just come and have a chat to us. Yeah. And so OMs are your friends. And I guess just finally, Chris, the big question would be then, as it's the OM that we would be ringing for absence, can OMs tell when a student is doing a sick voice would be my final question. The big one. Ultimately. Um, I think my I think my radar is quite honed, let's say. <laughs> um, it's it's what the thing for students is, is a case of you are there as an adult. You are there and you are expected to be there and undertake the, or not undertake the role, but if you were being paid to do it, there should be absolutely no difference just because you're not being paid to do it. Mm-hmm. That's the, is your learning environment. This is how you get to know policies and procedures. I appreciate the fact that where you are at uni may not be where you go. Okay. But if there are references that you want from other things, and if you want to put people down as character references, they're the people that are going to be the ones writing them, let's say. How do you want to be remembered? It's about pretend, pretend that you are a trust member of staff because essentially you are representing the trust that you're on placement with alongside the institution that you are studying at. So yeah. it's it's both the same things. I, I would say that I am looking for people who turn up, do the job, look eager, want to learn, and yeah, just really getting in there, to be honest with you. Do it well. Well, it's a compelling, uh, it's a compelling listen and uh, definitely a role that I'm sure will interest uh, many. Chris, is there anything else that you wanted to uh, add just before we, we wrap up there? Are you happy with what we've covered? No, I, I'm, I'm quite happy. I just, it's, it's a great thing to do. It's honestly, it has provided me with a lot more war stories that I can heavily redact certain uh, areas <laughs> on um i i would i would say it's it's fellow oms that i have met i've 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 met a good bunch of people they're not all just people that can't be approached they are human we are people at the end of it we have got personalities um i would say students just enjoy your time on placement placement because of the fact that that's your time to apply your theoretical knowledge that you have picked up or your scenarios that you've done it in a room with absolutely no eye with 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 no car in the middle and you're treating rtc uh all of the stuff that you were struggling with maybe that's your time to really iron out the kinks and put it into context and apply your skills so just enjoy it but just uh yeah just look after yourself and your mates next to you as well 
and you've always got the OM team there to uh, to back you up or whatever they may go by as job role in uh, whichever trust you're doing your placement with. Uh, thanks so much for listening to this episode of the UK Student Paramedic Podcast and a huge thank you uh, once again to Chris for joining me for this chapter in our Exploring Role series. Be sure to follow the podcast on the socials. Thank you for joining me. Stay safe and see you next time. Mm-hmm.